Glad you're with us. And buckle up. This is going to be a blockbuster news week. And I know a lot of what is coming. And this is now everything over time. And that means in the, the next days, weeks, and months, it will all be revealed. Because there's no stopping it. Even if, oh, Hannity drops dead tomorrow, gets hit by a bus, it's still coming out. Um, because the wheels are in motion for all of this. And uh, we're going to get into it, including we have some breaking news today. It's actually really important as it relates to the deep state that we will get to. Um, I know that it, it's it's really interesting to watch this battle, this conflict between the president and Elijah Cummings. And now Al Sharpton, as a battle has ensued here. And a lot of it has to do with the tweeting. And a lot of it's rooted in the fact that there have been many, many congressmen and women, especially the squad in particular, but that have been so critical of the president on the issue of the treatment of people down in these detention centers at the border. Now, one of the big problems that, that, that happened here is that Democrats refused to give the funding to build out bigger, safer, better facilities for those that don't respect our laws, our sovereignty, and enter this country illegally. But with that said, I mean, Griff Jenkins over at Fox, I was watching him one morning, you know, he had an opportunity to go and visit one of the detention centers. I've actually been invited, and I might go down to some of them myself to show people up close and personal, because, and, and then maybe we need to to at least send somebody, do a trip, maybe I'll do it, to go to Auschwitz and some of the concentration camps and maybe lay out a history for the ignorant people in Congress that obviously have no clue what happened in Nazi Germany and the death camps. Because at these facilities, as Griff Jenkins laid out and as we have known, well, yeah, there are soccer fields, there is very good food and quality and safety is provided and and shelter and uh food and water and medicines and blankets and and cots and beds and baby formula and diapers it's all being provided by you we the taxpayers we're paying for all of it nobody now well what about the pictures of the kids in cages well i don't know which pictures you're talking about maybe was it the the Obama years, because we have those pictures from the Obama years that nobody else in the media wants to show. And it even goes back as far as the Bush years. And the person that has made the biggest effort to stop it all is Donald Trump. And, of course, the corrupt media will never quite get there. You know, we've been doing something, and it's really beginning to, to come more into focus every day. You know, people ask me about, well, why do you support Donald Trump? I said, because he's doing everything I have believed for 30 years to get the country on track. And I have stated publicly for 30 years. Now, my, some of my views over 30 years have changed. You know, I've, I've, I just feel after Iraq and Afghanistan and Vietnam that I, I really am fixated and focused on building the next generation of warfare. So we don't ever again have to send our national treasure abroad and put them in a situation that they're going door to door, banging on doors, you know, looking for those making IEDs or those involved in terrorism or some of the leaders that are involved in killing American troops. There's got to be a better way to fight a war. I think what the president did with ISIS, and that was through intelligence and modern weaponry that has been created, he's 
you know, ISIS starts in this city and keeps spreading out like a cancer. And the president starts one one town after another, drives them out, kills them all, drives them out, kills them all. And it was mostly done quietly and it was mostly done from the air and it was done with uh, strategical precision. You know, I'm sure that a lot of people, if, you know, God forbid, we're ever back in a World War II situation and Harry Truman drops the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, to this day, people debate whether or not that was the right, just, and moral thing to do. And America didn't start that war. They killed our family members at Pearl Harbor. They started the conflict. They started the war. And then in the process, my father served four years in the Pacific, and so many of your fathers and mothers and grandfathers and grandparents did as well. And, you know, and then we had on the other side, um, across the pond, we had American troops slamming the beaches of Normandy because Europe would have been absolutely under Nazi control had we not. Winston Churchill knew it. Every, uh, Roosevelt knew it. I think the only regret the United States could have is maybe we got in a little too late. We got the job done. The price was so heavy. American treasure, our sons and daughters, they go, they put on the uniform, they fight. You know, here you're pulling up on a on a day that was supposed to be cloudy. You're slamming the beaches of Normandy. All you see before you is, you know, they have a position up high and it's like literally fish in a barrel. They're killing every kid as they get off their PT boat and have to run up the beaches of Normandy to help save Europe, but they did it. What did we ask for in return? Did we take over France? No, just a place that we may bury our dead, our treasure. There's got to be the next generation. So there's got to be a new way to think. Now, there's something, you know, maybe biblically it's always going to be true. You will always have the poor among you. And I do feel that Americans and America is the most generous place on earth when it comes to sharing the wealth and the lifestyle we have. And we share everything. We share everything with everybody. We have paid the price for freedom for the entire world. The cost of the, the cost of freedom. We accumulate the power. We abuse it less, as Barry Farber says. We use it to advance the human condition more than anybody else. We're never going to get credit for it. You know, I'm listening to our allies abroad. It gets a little tiring. But we've now sent our own Lawrence Jones numerous times to San Francisco. He's, we've sent him to Chicago. We've sent him to Los Angeles. We've been out on the streets of New York City. And there is this great phenomenon. Well, what is it? The phenomenon is, is that, yeah, all these places, Nancy Pelosi's district, let's start with hers. We've been there a few times now with our cameras. And a mile away from where is a, a, a there's no facilities, there's no showers, there's open lawlessness, drug dealing, drug using, no bathroom facilities. So people are literally going number one and number two right there on the street. And it's a mile away from her, well, gated community. And she's a multi, 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 multi millionaire. And everybody else that lives in that gated community, Silicon Valley richness, well, nobody that I can see has pulled up, you know, looked at the situation and said, we need to fix our own backyard. 
a mile in the other direction is Nancy Pelosi's office. And in the middle, let me play a little bit of Lawrence Jones talking to the people on the streets. A mile in one direction is Pelosi's office. A mile in the other direction is her house. Listen to this. When you have needles and um, blood-stained clothing in the streets, that can't be safe for anyone. I do see like a lot of needles and then, you know feces everywhere. And then that's obviously about drugs and stuff like that. Um, kind of makes it a trap when you walk around, you see needles and close to a playground and just feces everywhere. I mean, the smell of it all. It's kind of... You definitely have to look on the ground when you're walking. And it's been, it's it's definitely an uptick because I've lived in this city more than 30 years. And it, this is probably the worst I've seen it. Now, why can't Nancy say, I'm going to give a million, I'm really rich, uh, uh, can you give a hundred thousand? Can you give five hundred thousand? Can you give me a million dollars? You're really wealthy. You work in Silicon Valley. You're loaded. And can we build in our town, our neighborhood, a mile from our beautiful homes, maybe a facility that provides bathroom facilities, shower facilities, maybe you know uh, a, a meal one, two, or three times a day, and maybe for those people that have taken all those drugs. Instead of giving them fresh needles, how about we give them some counseling so that maybe their lives will be saved because between fentanyl and opioid addiction, we're losing 300 people a day. Now, does she need Washington to do? I don't know. So the president got sick and tired of hearing about all these false analogies and comparisons. And it's like you got to look in your own backyard. Why is it that the most liberal cities treat people the worst? And what is it about them being unable to ever dig their hands into their own pockets to provide for their own, their own neighborhood? It's unbelievable to me. Now, here's another question is, so Baltimore, if you look at Baltimore, I know everyone's angry at President Trump before we get to the statistics. Well, I have tape of the African-American mayor of Baltimore talking about you can smell the rats. I've got tape of Bernie Sanders likening West Baltimore to a third world country and saying it's a disgrace. And by the way, more than 40 public and private officials have uh, charged in federal investigations in Michigan. We can go there. Another corrupt city. But let's listen to the mayor of Baltimore. Let's see what the mayor has to say. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. Oh my God, you can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings helped to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. Home is boarded up, they'll still break it down and do their drugs inside. Oh. You can smell the rats. The mayor, well, the mayor resigned over a children's book issue, but that was just a couple of months ago. Or Bernie Sanders, a third world country. Now, if Donald Trump said this, how would it be viewed by your corrupt media? Here's what Bernie says. Thank you very much uh, for organizing this meeting. And let me thank all of you, not only for being here today, uh, but for the work you're doing every single day uh, for people who are hurting, uh, who are often living in the shadows, and for whom, as a nation, we do not pay much attention to. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that America is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. But anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation. You would think that you were in a third world country. Oh, what if Donald Trump said that? 
But it was only a few months back that the African-American mayor, then mayor of Baltimore, said that she could smell the rats and the vermin. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, she said it. Nobody said a word. Donald Trump says it. And then you start looking a little bit deeper into what it is, what's going on in Baltimore. I mean, can we talk about it and have an intelligent conversation with the goal, maybe making the lives for people in Baltimore better? You know, okay, well, let's look from the Baltimore Sun, July 19th. The city of Baltimore is on pace to exceed 300 murders for the fifth year in a row. That's nothing to be proud of. And where I, you know, according to my population thinking, you know, according to the latest FBI statistics, 2017, Baltimore had the highest murder rate among America's biggest city uh, cities. Number one, Baltimore, 55.8 per 100,000. The next, Detroit, 39.8. To put it in perspective, Chicago's fourth with 24.1. And we hear about the horrors. We still haven't solved the shooting issues in Chicago. But anyway, the five highest cities, highest murder rates, St. Louis one, Baltimore number two. I don't think I'd want to live in Baltimore in a city that has to deal with all of that. And if there's no opportunity and the unemployment rate and everything else in between. But New York Times even pointed out the Baltimore murder rate is far higher than any other major U.S. city. 342 murders. It's the highest per capita rate ever. More than double Chicago's far higher than any other city of 500,000 or more. The violence and disorder in Baltimore, according to the New York Times, have Fed uh, broader setbacks, the governor canceling a, a rail system for $2.9 billion, defending the, the disinvestment in the troubled neighborhoods, uh, neighborhoods there by noting that he'd spent $14 million responding to the Freddie Gray riots. And it goes on. For, there's no good statistics here. 93% of homicide victims also in America's most deadly city are African-American. Let's save our treasure. That's our national treasure. Those are our kids in Baltimore. Why aren't we saving them? When Mayor Giuliani saved lives in America, it was over 2,500 a year in New York, and he brought it down to 400. He was called a racist pretty much every day. But he saved the lives of everybody in his city, and he wasn't going to let a few names stop him. And thank God he did save these lives. So why doesn't Nancy Pelosi stop the drug use, the urinating and defecating on the streets a mile away from her gated community home and her office? And it's everywhere. Why can't she raise money among the rich and famous Silicon Valley neighbors she has? Why is Los Angeles, all the Hollywood libs are out there, Why are they allowing the 10 cities to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in drugs and and everything associated with it? How come the president can't point out that Baltimore, well, the Baltimore mayor said it. Baltimore mayor talked at length about rats and vermin, and we have it on tape, and Bernie Sanders. So, okay, I guess he can compare Baltimore to a third world country. And then we can look at the statistics, and they're shocking. The murder rate, according to the New York Times, far higher than any other major city in the USA. And two months ago, a few months ago, the African-American mayor complaining that she could smell the rats and the vermin. I don't hear. Are we saying we can't save uh, 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 the kids when we have the highest per capita murder rate 
uh, in the country being Baltimore, and we can't talk about it. By the way, $1.8 billion is what Obama earmarked for Baltimore. How come we haven't improved? About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. Oh my God, you can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings help to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. If home is boarded up, they'll still break it down and do their drugs inside. Thank you very much uh, for organizing this meeting. And let me thank all of you, not only for being here today, uh, but for the work you're doing every single day uh, for people who are hurting, uh, who are often living in the shadows, and for whom, as a nation, we do not pay much attention to. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that America is the wealthiest country in the history of the world. But anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation. You would think that you were in a third world country. You would think you're in a third world country. And you, you heard the mayor. Oh, can smell the rats, the vermin. Oh, can smell the dead animals. This is this is not an, a unique situation. If you have a city that is run by the left, this is what you get. Poverty. New York is not that different in some places. Los Angeles, San Francisco. Look at what's happening in Chicago. By the way, I love how Nancy Pelosi weighs in on the issue of poverty in West Baltimore. Where did she do it from? According to Emily Miller. From a five-star rooftop restaurant in Venice, Italy. Any of you have been to Ve- Linda's probably been to Venice, Italy. Has anyone else been to Venice, Italy? I've not been to Venice, Italy. I can afford to go to Venice, Italy, but I don't have time to go to Venice, Italy, nor do I really give a flying rip about Venice, Italy. You know, it's these are American towns, American cities, America's kids. You can't tell me or convince me that we can't do better than this. And if you just talk about it, it's it's off limits. And and if you're a liberal, you can say it. But if you're a conservative and you point it out because, well, you're getting the crap beaten out of you unfairly and you're getting all these Nazi comparisons because we we need a place to detain people that didn't obey our laws and, and respect our borders or our sovereignty. So we get one after the other in terms of, oh, the concentration camp, the Nazi analogies, and, oh, well, we boycotted Nazi Germany. Of course we're going to boycott Israel. And I'm like, this is insanity. These cities can be saved. It's been done. The guy that did it the best is Rudy Giuliani in New York. And to the credit of some that followed him, he was such a hard, the the nanny state mayor of New York, which was uh, Bloomberg. But he did he did follow up on the safe policing measures. Now under Comrade de Blasio, forget it. The wheels are coming off and we're attacking police officers everywhere. You know, and and the residents of Baltimore are speaking out. They're saying uh, what the what the president said is definitely true. That Congressman Cummings has not fixed our problems. He hasn't done anything for us. He's worried more about caring for illegal aliens at the border than his own people. 
meaning his own constituency. They, of course, they should be served better. You know, if you care enough about the problem, you go in and fix it. This is where politicians fail constantly. You know, that's why it should matter that the president's policies, deregulation, the largest tax cuts in history, the move towards energy independence, it all matters. That's how you get 7 million people working. That's how you get 7 million people off of food stamps. That's how you get millions of other Americans uh, out of poverty and now have an opportunity to have better lives for themselves and, and their families. You know, the, the okay, well, the president just echoed what the Baltimore mayor said about and the same points at a local news special not that long ago. Baltimore residents are backing up what the president said on his remarks. The Baltimore Sun quoted Bernie Sanders comparing West Baltimore to a third world country without criticism, mind you. And, you know, look at um, the CR immigration. Daniel Horowitz explains Baltimore had a higher per capita homicide rate in 2018 get this in the three main countries behind the current border crisis well i would say that's a that's a national human tragedy that's something to me that can be avoidable by the way you're gonna have the democratic debate in detroit they're all gonna want free health care free health care for illegal immigrants what about free health care uh, I, I could I would respect it more if you said, how about free safety and security for the people of Baltimore, San Francisco and Los Angeles? So, you know, they don't have to live in fear all of their lives. Look, it's the same thing we get every two years, every four years. Like, you know, the talking points, racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, dirty air, water, kill granny after you feed her cat and dog food, throw her over the cliff and make children die. That's what this always said about Republicans. Well, if a Republican points out, uh, you're worried about what I'm doing at the border. Go fix your own district. That's not racist. People are dying in that district. And it's not. Forget Donald Trump said it. You know, you look at, you know, you, you listen to the media mob. You think Baltimore is some kind of paradise on earth. And, and the president's lying about Baltimore. No, he's not lying. The president just singled out. Baltimore in this particular case because of the ongoing criticism of him and the people that are at the border being detained that get that get food and water and clothing and soccer fields. I just saw Griff Jenkins do a report and a lot of outside time and athletic time and as much freedom as they possibly can. And they're also getting food, water, medicine, supplies, cots, baby formulas, blankets and whatever other necessities need, uh, you know, come up there. Interesting, the squad voted against it. You don't have to take my word for it. Listen to Baltimore's political leaders, all Democrats. They've, they're the ones that have driven this once great city over the cliff. And it's sad. I love Baltimore. I just happen to like Baltimore. And four months ago, New York Times runs a story on the collapse of Baltimore. The headline was the tragedy of Baltimore since Freddie Gray's death in 2015 Violent crime has spiked to levels unseen for a quarter of a century. Okay, well, he's, you know, what's Baltimore? What are Democrats down there doing to fix Baltimore? 2017, Baltimore had 342 murders, the highest per capita rate ever. Their, their rate is more than double Chicago's rate, far higher than any other city of 500,000 or more residents. 
uh, and an astonishing larger absolute number of killings than in New York City, which has 14 times the population. The violence and disorder have fed broader setbacks. The governor, he's going to build a rail transit line in West Baltimore, defending his disinvestment in the troubled neighborhood by noting that the state has spent $14 million responding to the Freddie Gray riots. By the way, it's another case. We don't ever use all the video we have to get people. We are not using the video that we have to get all these people trying to dunk police officers in New York with water. And nothing's happened there either. The rate at which Baltimore detectives are able to close homicide cases now is down to 30%. Residents grow even more wary of calling in tips or testifying. 93% of Baltimore's homicide victims happen to be black Americans. They're our family. Can we not do a better job of protecting our national treasure, our kids? 93%. I haven't heard Elijah Cummings saying, I need help for the people in my neighborhood and people in my community. I'd respect it. I'd want that. I'd understand anybody in office saying that about the people that they represent, that they are supposed to serve. Fascinating when you read the Washington Free Beacon and how they got $1.8 billion from Obama's stimulus package. $1.8 billion. Where did the money go? What the what what in God's name happened to one point eight billion dollars, the American Recovery Reinvestment Act, the stimulus? Well, let's see. One of Baltimore's central zip codes, two one two oh one, got the most stimulus funding in the city, a total of eight hundred and thirty seven, nearly eight hundred and thirty eight billion million dollars. That's an insane amount of money. 276 awards, et cetera, et cetera. Of that amount, 467 went to education, 206 million to the environment. The environment, how about we just, we have to be safe before we have to worry about the environment. Make sure families are safe in their homes. Infrastructure, all this stuff, okay. It's a lot of money. What did they do with the money? You know, and it's and it, so here it is now. Al Sharpton's going down to Baltimore. Shocking. Now Elijah Cummings has been in Congress for decades. Seems like a nice guy. I have never met him. But what? How do his constituents feel? He's been in office since 1996. Highest homicides in decades. Baltimore Sun pointed it out repeatedly. 56 homicides per hundred thousand people in in 2017 the highest crime rate out there of every city in the country i mean and people ought to be sick of it and you got al sharpton a great play al sharpton remind people he's going to lecture us on race and bringing people together here's al sharpton i'm tired of the magazine you ain't nothing you're a punk now come on do something yes you want to be the only on television Uh, 
Biden and Lopa, I said I was wrong. Uh, uh, cracker. All right, but that's enough. It goes on and on and on. But here's the point. Well, whose policies have set records for record low unemployment for African-Americans? Donald Trump. Record low unemployment for Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workplace. You know, nearly a million new jobs have been created for African-Americans alone since Trump's been president. Millions more out of, off of food stamps, out of poverty. Most because, you know, the 9,000 opportunity zones as a result of the president's tax cuts created in all 50 states, D.C., five territories, and spurring $100 billion in private capital investment, impacting 1.4 million minority households. That's Donald Trump's policies. All you, I want to call you a racist just because, because, because people. Because I guess Stormy and Mueller are over for now. You know, that homicide rate, I mean, you're dealing with an 18% increase from last year alone. You know, more by more than 900,000 people lived in Baltimore in 1970. It's now below 700,000 for the first time since World War I. People are leaving because it's not safe anymore. Homicide rate, highest in the country. And we're going to we're going to get upset, but only if Trump says it, not if Bernie says it, only if Trump says it, not the mayor says it. I mean, you don't get any higher when you look at the numbers and you see that, yeah, the statistics are pretty damning. Uh huh. When you look at cities with violent crime, highest murder rate, that would be Baltimore. Cities with the highest murder rate. Well, according to population, Baltimore, number two behind St. Louis and People are complaining because Donald Trump actually said it. That's where you're 100. I mean, it's these are insane numbers. Just insane. Anyway, we got a lot of other stuff we're going to get to. We have this week coming a lot of breaking news as it relates to the deep state. Um, we're going to learn some things this week. How do I say this without giving the story away? Um, there's going to be exculpatory evidence that will show that the people the investigators knew charges against individuals were not true about any collusion we also have thanks to jay seculo um and the american center for law and justice his son jordan is going to join us coming up at the top of the next hour this is pretty amazing that we now have a copy of the doj's immunity agreements with hillary clinton's lawyers cheryl mills and heather samuelson and what they did to offer favorable treatment should shock your conscience because you look at all of this this is now in the whole second phase because Mueller's over whether they want to believe it or not um and we'll get to that today uh, we also have the latest on election 2020. Oh, by the way, critics of Joe Biden now are targeting him, saying his crime bill targeting African-Americans was racist. So he's got problems. He's running for president. You know what he's running for? President on the I'm not Donald Trump platform. That's not enough to get elected to be president or dog catcher, frankly. Anyway, we'll get to that. Oh, and the Supreme Court, huge win that the, the president, remember he signed the emergency order? As to whether or not he can reallocate funds from the Defense Department, yeah, he can. He will. He's now going to build the wall with more money, as I predicted. And many quote conservatives said, "Hannity, you're not you're not holding his feet to the fire." No, he he chose Plan B. I like Plan B better because I thought we'd have a much better shot of winning, and the Supreme Court handed him a huge victory. Last week, the American people learned that Cheryl Mills 
Secretary Clinton's longtime confidant and former State Department Chief of Staff, and Heather Samuelson, counsel to Secretary Clinton in the State Department, were granted immunity for production of their laptops. Why were they not targets of the FBI's criminal investigation? A target is someone on whom you have sufficient evidence to indict. A subject is someone whose conduct at some point during the investigation falls within the scope of the investigation. So certainly with respect to Ms. Mills, at least initially, because she was an email correspondent, uh, she was a subject of the investigation. Did the FBI find classified information on either of their computers? I think there were some emails still on the computer that were recovered that were classified, is my recollection. Isn't that a crime? Is what a crime, sir? Having classified information on computers that are outside of the server system of the Department of State, unsecured. No, it's certainly something, without knowing more, you couldn't conclude whether it was a crime. You'd have to know what were the circumstances, what was the intention around that, but it's certainly something, it's the reason we conducted a year-long investigation to understand where uh, emails had gone on an unclassified system that contained classified information. And what did you determine with regard to the emails found on her computer? I hope I'm getting this right, and my troops will correct me if I'm wrong, but they were duplicates of emails that had been produced because the emails had been used to um, sort before production. Do you think that Cheryl Mills would have destroyed her laptop? And if so, why uh, this negotiation as opposed to just asking for it by grand jury subpoena? Well, it's a lawyer's laptop. So I, having done this for many, many years, a grand jury subpoena for a lawyer's laptop would likely entangle us in litigation over privilege for a very long time. And so by June of this year, I wanted that laptop. Our investigators wanted that laptop. And the best way to get it was through negotiation. Do you think any laws were broken by Cheryl Mills? We have no evidence to establish that she committed a crime. Do you think that Secretary Clinton broke any laws related to classified data? We have no evidence uh, sufficient to justify a conclusion that she violated any of the statutes with respect to classified information. Is there any distinction between that statement and saying that no prosecutor would bring charges, which is, I think, what you said in your public statements the, the day that you made your announcement? Well, I think it's another way of looking at it. Uh, I think given the evidence in this case, I still think that no reasonable prosecutor would try to bring this case or bring this case. That is about as uh, not true as anything I've ever heard from, yes, Mr. Super Patriot, uh, Jim Comey. Um, he's gotten he's got a lot of problems in terms of things that he has said. You know, don't forget, it was McCabe is deputy director of the FBI at the time, uh, he said, well, we have no dossier. We have no FISA application. Remember that. Remember, it was Jim Comey that signed the first FISA application. Jim Comey, though, let's go back. Jim Comey was warned in August 2016, Bruce Orr, that in fact, it's a tainted dossier. Hillary paid for it. Steele hates Trump and nobody's verified a thing. Later, we'd find out that the FBI had a spreadsheet where they debunked themselves over 90 percent of what was in the dirty dossier. But he kept signing away dossier after dossier. He goes after signing the first warrant in October 2016 and the second warrant. Next thing we know, he's telling Donald Trump, President-elect Trump Towers, that it's unverified. The very opposite of what happened, uh, what he was saying just a few months earlier to a FISA court under oath. Amazing. He said it's salacious, but it's unverified. Uh, then we have the same Jim Comey, who in, what, 2016 in May is, you know, him and 
Peter Strzok, they're writing Hillary's exoneration, and they take out the term gross negligence, the legal standard, and put in uh, extreme carelessness to replace the legality of that very important standard. Uh, then it was July 2nd. It was Peter Strzok on, in, in an unprecedented interview. Yeah, people like Cheryl Mills and others were allowed to sit in on what was supposed to be Hillary Clinton and answering questions into an investigation about herself. I've never heard of a single person on the face of this earth that gets to have friends standing by to bail them out in an FBI interrogation. And later it would be struck and Page that said, yeah, the fix was in the whole time on Hillary. There was no way they'd ever indict her. And then three days after struck interviews with Hillary's friends, Hillary Clinton, then he exonerates Hillary. But he admitted, yeah, top secret, classified, special access programming information marked as such. Yeah, that was all on the server in the mom and pop shop bathroom closet. All of it. I've told you that this is going to be on a lot of fronts. We're getting a lot of news this week. And we're going to try and go through all of it slowly because all of it's significant. And starting today with the American Center for Law and Justice, um, we now know that Obama's uh, Department of Justice immunity agreements with Hillary Clinton's lawyers, Cheryl Mills and Heather Samuelson, get this, to dispose of evidence and evade federal law. Anyway, Jordan um, Seculo is with us, executive director for the American Center for Law and Justice. They're the ones that got this today. How are you, sir? I'm good, Sean. All right, let's go into more the significance of what this find is. And did you ever hear of anybody being interrogated by the FBI ever having anybody that had immunity involvement in the case sitting next to them? No. I mean, you, you said it was already was bizarre about this. And what we, we knew was that these were aides who became attorneys. So they were actively involved as subjects of the investigation, who then went from being chief of staff for Hillary Clinton when she was secretary of state and senior advisor to Hillary Clinton, and then became her private attorneys, who would not go into the uh, interview with Hillary Clinton on that July 4th weekend. And then Comey comes out, you know, that first Tuesday after the holiday and says uh, she's been exonerated. But they wouldn't go into that without getting immunity from criminal prosecution for themselves for the documents that they were going to hand over. So they were not just acting as attorneys or counsel, but they were active subjects to the investigation who, before sitting down with the FBI, got the Department of Justice to grant them immunity from criminal prosecution for anything that was found in the investigation. And then it went a step further, like you said, which was not just about what happened to Cheryl Mills uh, and Heather Samuelson, but that it, they actively decided that they would help Hillary Clinton conceal this information from the American people by saying, even though we're taking your laptop, it's not in our custody, and thus it will not, and they put this down in writing, it will not be subject to FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests from groups like the ACLJ, because it won't ever be in our custody, and we'll destroy it for you when the uh, time, when we've done our investigation. So in other words, the evidence has already been destroyed. So that's an interesting question. We can't determine from the doc, these documents have, this has been a fight we've been having with the FBI, just so people know, since 2016 to get this information. And ultimately what happened was a, 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 a few months ago, we got a document that referenced the immunity agreements. We then pushed to get the agreements themselves, uh, and we just put it together in the last couple of weeks. So it's taken three years. But what we don't have definitive answer yet, and like the, because of the inspector general and everything else that happened 
post Jim Comey, uh, his firing, the firing of Andrew McCabe, uh, and now the investigation that was opened up first by the IG, and now we have a U.S. attorney also looking at this information, is did these uh, computers, which were the backups to the server, Sean, these were the, ba- these were the missing emails, this was what, where they would be, were they actually ever destroyed, or does the Department of Justice still have access to them? Uh, I can't answer that question. I'm not sure the IG, the IG might tell us ultimately in a report, um, and, uh, and certainly uh, the U.S. Attorney, uh, Attorney Durham, w- if they were looking at this, would, would be able to determine that. Because it doesn't say we've destroyed it. It says we will ultimately destroy it when we are done. Now, so, but, but this is important. We made his announcement. So according to the immunity agreement, again, we're dealing with Clinton yeah. aides who were allowed to sit in yeah, when, when Hillary was finally being interrogated by the FBI only three days before the Comey exoneration. And what we learned is that in this very specific agreement, now, why would they make such an agreement unless they were going to offer something of value to the uh, prosecution? That would have been the Department of Justice under uh, Loretta Lynch or FBI Director Comey. But uh, the agreement, the immunity agreement, that's subject to the terms of consent set forth in a separate letter to the DOJ. This would be June 10th, 2016, before Hillary was ever interviewed July 2nd, 2016. Cheryl Mills willingly, voluntarily produced the Mills laptop to the FBI for its review and analysis um, that no information directly obtained from the laptop will be used against your client in any prosecution. Well, why would they even ask for it unless they were almost trying to destroy the remaining evidence that they knew existed? That's my interpretation, because they cite 18 U.S.C. and specific paragraphs in it, and that no other promises, agreements, or understandings exist between the parties except set forth in this agreement. No modification of this agreement shall have effect unless executed in writing by the parties. Now, we're talking about the Espionage Act. We're talking about removal of classified information by public uh, employees. We're talking about the Records and Reports Act. Uh, And then, of course, destruction of such would be obstruction of justice with a real underlying crime. Right, Sean, they got full immunity for deleting the emails. I mean, so right going into this interview with Hillary Clinton, the two former advisors who become her private attorneys who actually delete emails on this backup to the server, the infamous server that was being housed out in Colorado, this was the backup. They're called culling computers. They're specific in each one. Cheryl Mills had one. Heather Samuelson had one. They got immunity from actually deleting what are government records, classified documents. And so it says that if we can still recover anything from here, if it was classified, if it was a government, even if it was a government record that wasn't classified that you illegally had, you won't be prosecuted for it. We combined it to how much immunity was granted here. If they were fully prosecuted and found guilty, of these of violating these three statutes, each one of them could have gone to jail for up to 28 years. So we're not talking about six months in prison. These are felonies, so at, at least a year, but most of these provisions are five-plus years, uh, 10 years in prison because they involve, as you said, violations of the Espionage Act, which doesn't Well, and if people don't intent. think this happens, Jordan. Intent. And they had intent, obviously, because they were actively destroying emails.
Jordan, if they didn't apply this law, then Christian Saucier, who had six pictures from inside a submarine, uh, would not have had to be dragged away from his young infant daughter, his wife and his mother to spend a year in jail. And he did nothing except he was only proud of where he worked. And the pictures were for his own personal use, shared them with nobody, leaked it to nobody. Nobody even accused him of such. And now we're talking about, yeah, this is all classified, top secret information and that's why we even have these laws on the books all right as we continue jordan seculo executive director for the american center for law and justice what did you judicial watch it's interesting because simultaneously today they released a deposition of justin cooper former aide of bill clinton and the clinton foundation uh and that's the guy who registered the domain name under clintonmail.com for hillary clinton when she was secretary of state and he admits that he spoke with cheryl mills uh, one week prior to his deposition and let her know the deposition had uh, been scheduled. And he also said that he worked with Uma Abedin, Clinton's deputy chief of staff, to create the private email system. But he can't recall if Clinton had any input in its creation or if he wiped the original server. I don't believe that for a second. And Cooper was recently deposed as part of Discovery. Granted by Judicial Watts, Cooper testified that he spoke with Mills before giving the deposition and... You know, then the judge ripped the DOJ, saying he was dumbfounded uh, by the inspector general report, revealing that Mills had been given immunity, which you're talking about. And you blew uh, open today was allowed to accompany Hillary Clinton to her FBI interview. Yep. Now this, and, let, let's rem- and Cooper, the, Justin Cooper, who you're talking about, was represented by the guy who was sitting next to Bob Mueller last week. That was his attorney, Andrew Zebley, who uh, was, again, the deputy special counsel going after President Trump. So there is, it doesn't just end with like Hillary Clinton's investigation, Sean. These are the same actors over and over again, interacting with each other, getting immunity to continue their actions. And then uh, having the guts to then turn around the same individuals begging for immunity, using the information they're required to try and take down the incoming president of the United States because things didn't turn out the way they wanted in the general election uh, that happened a few months after all this occurred. So these are the same actors. They are Peter Strzok. He was in charge of both. Uh, He started Crossfire Hurricane about 20 days after this all occurred. Uh, But remember one one last thing, and that was, remember, she got this in June. These two, Heather Samuelson, Cheryl Mills get this in June. Hillary is interviewed with them present in on July 2nd, 2016. The exoneration Comey, even though Comey admits they were marked classified top secret on a secret server. Um, and then immediately thereafter, then they begin, you know, Operation Crossfire Hurricane, which is now Operation Crossfire Boomerang. And uh, we now see that they protected their favored candidate. Um, and they did it in a spectacular fashion, in a way, last question, that no other American would get away with. We have about 10 seconds. Absolutely not. And these individuals should be very concerned. The Comeys, the Strocks, the McCabes, they are the ones who will probably end up being in trouble here, uh, even more so than Heather Mills, uh, Cheryl Mills and Heather Samuelson. All right, 25 till the uh, top of the hour. Glad you're with us. Write down our toll-free telephone number. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. It is 800-941-SEAN if you want to join us. As I've been telling you, there's going to be a lot of breaking news this week, and it's now going to be a long, steady drip, drip, drip until 
everything comes out and those that are responsible for abusing power, those that were corrupt, those were involved in FISA abuse, those rigging investigations, the origins of the Trump-Russia BS probe, uh, the ab- abject uh, politicizing of the special counsel, all of this is coming, and we're now beginning to even see signs of it unfolding before our eyes this week. Uh, Alan Dershowitz has been with us through the whole process. We didn't really talk to him a lot uh, about this. He's had a lot of time to absorb now everything that has happened. He uh, also has some breaking news just as we're coming on the air here today. Uh, Professor, how are you? Welcome back. Glad to have you. Well, great. It's a a great day for me because I've been trying to get a presidential commutation for a man named Ronan Nachmani, whose wife is dying of cancer, and she has five children who would be homeless and orphans, and he got a 20-year sentence for a marijuana-related offense. And just this afternoon, it hasn't been made public yet, the president has just signed a commutation for time served, which is he already served a lot of time, but he'll be able to be home with his dying wife, his very sick wife, take care of her, take care of their five children. This is a really a great act, and it shows how the criminal justice system can be used non-politically, non-partisan. The president didn't even want to know whether this guy's a Democrat or a Republican. All he cared about is there was an injustice in the sentencing. And he dug his heels in and he said, I'm going to do this. And he asked me to get all the information available to him. It took almost a year to do it because he wanted to make sure that every I was dotted, every T was crossed. But the president performed his duty under Article 2 of the Constitution and commuted a sentence that was outrageously uh, long and reunited a family. It's just a wonderful day. The, the mother called me today crying over the telephone and asking me to please thank the president for what he had done. Uh, this is what my tradition calls a mitzvah, a really good deed. That's a and blessing, Professor. Prayed. You know, I, I, I'm not that bad. I, I, I believe America was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. I've been yeah, to yeah, Israel yeah. numerous times, as you know, and I've been best friends with numerous prime ministers, but the longest, obviously, is the current one, uh, and that be being me Prime Minister Netanyahu. Um, let me ask you about something else. I have watched, I've known you a long time, I have watched with a fierceness, I mean an unbridled fierceness, you taking on a media that seems to want to tie you to Jeffrey Epstein, right. when yeah, in fact yeah. you were a lawyer um, at the time, a consulting lawyer, if I understand the relationship properly, right. offering consulting, and, uh, and, and yet people are trying to somehow tie you to that. I suspect if it was Alan Dershowitz uh, loved by liberals because it's Clinton, that probably wouldn't happen. Uh, but even the worst people in the world needed defense. Um, but you did something that I think everyone would do, and it's natural for anyone to do, and I think that's what the president did as a result of the Russiagate thing, fiercely denying, offering exact times and places of where right. you were at times they're specifically talking about, and a willingness to debate, show anybody anything, anytime, which tells me you're innocent. Right. I have nothing to hide. I've had, um, you know, a wonderful relationship with my wife from the day I met Jeffrey Epstein, which I now regret having done. 
I've had uh, sex with one woman, my wife. I'm very happy with my and wife. By the way, Professor, I can, can never... I just say one thing? It's getting a yeah. little weird to hear about your sex life in every interview. I'm just saying. Okay, that's the last, <laughs> last we heard. I just, it's my non-sex life that I'm talking about that I never touched or had any contact with any of these women. One of these women today admitted in The New Yorker, that she made up a story of having sex tapes of Donald Trump. She admitted she made it up, and now she's one of these people who are accusing uh, me. But, you know, the New Yorker decided to go after me because the New Yorker hates Donald Trump. The New Yorker hates Benjamin Netanyahu. The New Yorker hates the state of Israel. And the New they Yorker don't, they don't particularly like me voice. either, Professor. They, you know, they don't like me. We're in good company. They don't like me. So they decided to do a hit piece. The piece came out today online. It's a nothing burger. It has nothing in it at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, every possible inference is drawn uh, against me. And it just shows the power of the media. But it also shows that if you have a determination to fight back, you can prove your innocence. I'm a victim of a crime. The crime was committed by lawyers and women who have determined to falsely accuse me, and that's a crime to falsely accuse somebody. And as a crime victim, I'm going to speak out. People say, oh, you're talking too much. Would anybody say that about any other crime victim, if somebody were a victim of a, an assault or something else, and they insisted on speaking about it and pinpointing who the false accusers were, they would praise them for it. I'm doing the same thing. I'm a crime victim, and as a crime victim, I'm speaking out against the perpetrators. I want to see them investigated. I want to see them in prosecuted. I want to see them in prison, because false accusations are terrible. We're now beginning to catch up a little bit. You saw that those 10 kids in Israel were accused of raping a woman in Cyprus, and now she's been arrested for making a false accusation. In London, there was a guy who accused every prominent person uh, of um, uh, all kind of horrible crimes. Now he's been arrested. It's time we start arresting false accusers. Put them on trial. Make sure that we discourage people from making false accusations and their lawyers as well. So I'm going to fight back till the day I die. And when I die, my children will continue the fight and my grandchildren. So I will never give up. And I thank you for giving me an opportunity to proclaim my unequivocal innocence. Do you remember famously now Trey Gowdy saying, well, if you're innocent, damn it, act like you're innocent. And then right. I asked the question, well, how do innocent people act? Now, I think I have a view that innocent people act in a way that is outraged at such an unbelievable charge against them. And look, anybody in the public eye today, pr Professor, is fair game. And, you know, look, th this is why I truly believe that we need a couple of of changes as it relates to tort reform. Uh, I believe in loser should pay. I also believe that people that make false charges ought to be held accountable. I'll give you no, another. I, I agree with that. Look, I'll give you an example. You read two articles in the New Yorker. They did an article on Al Franken. They like Al Franken. He's a liberal Democrat. He wants to impeach the president. So they resolved all doubts in his favor. They attack the accusers. They uh, uh, talk about their motives. They proclaim uh, Al Franken's complete innocence, but they don't like me. And so the same magazine draws all the inferences negative toward me. If you read the two articles together, it's as if they're two different worlds, two different universes. Well, I didn't see and any pictures of magazine. you, you know, up grabbing some woman sleeping. Right. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't see those pictures of you with all no, due respect. No pictures. There's not a single piece of evidence that I ever met any of these people. So that's why I have been so anxious to affirm not only That's yeah, called Alan Dershowitz. Case. Devil's advocate. You're not that. You know what? This is really unfair because I'll tell you what you are. You do have a consistent fidelity to the Constitution. Right. And 
you and I and others really have discovered here a massive double standard, which brings us to mm-hmm. your feelings about the way Mueller testified last week. Right. I, it was an embarrassing disgrace. What he didn't know was as frightening as what he was supposed to know. It's amazing. You know, I wrote the introduction to the Mueller report. I knew more about the report than he did. When he was asked questions, I immediately knew where they were in the report. He had to fumble around for pages. He kept saying, well, if it's in the report, then it's true. But he didn't even know if it was in the report. I have urged that we change the name of the Mueller report to the staff report. Because Mueller's name shouldn't be on it. Maybe he maybe the Weissman report. He didn't write it. Huh? Maybe yeah, the Weissman I mean, report. Whatever you want. Find out who wrote it. There are several staff members who are responsible, but not Mueller. And they mm-hmm. just used his name because he had a good reputation to try to give it the imprimatur of Mueller. But anybody who heard that testimony now has to understand this was not the Mueller report. Well, I think the danger here, too, is the fact that everybody was warned about that dossier. Everybody. Mm-hmm, we yeah. now know that the dossier is unverifiable. Um, it, we, you talk a lot about politicizing uh, uh, personal difference, political differences. Is there any more? Can you politicize anything more than to take an unverified unverifiable Russian lies. Now the New York Times, a little late, Professor, they should have been watching my show or listening to my radio show. Mm -hmm. They Mm -hmm. finally concluding that, oh, it looks like the dirty dossier that was the foundation for all of the four FISA warrants. uh, It looks like it was Russian disinformation from the get-go, which would then shift the entire narrative that that the American people have heard in other media for the last two and a half years. And if Russia knew and Russia put out the stories about hookers urinating in beds in, in the Ritz in Moscow, then that sounds to me like Russia wanted Hillary to win. Well, we don't know. Russia wanted to discombobulate American democracy. I don't. Think I agree with that. I just think they wanted to destroy American democracy. That's why I wanted to have from day one a nonpartisan expert commission looking into Russian efforts to destabilize American democracy. But, you know, Mueller refused to answer about the dossier. He refused to answer about many of the things that were outside of the report, but which he has knowledge of. What he claimed was that it's being investigated by the uh, Office of um, Investigative. And we'll see. We'll see if if that comes out. But there has to be a full investigation as to the FISA report, as to the affidavits submitted, as to the affidavits that were not submitted, correcting the prior affidavits. The American public has the right to make sure that the process by which the FISA court grants these incredibly powerful search warrants that can get into the private life of every American, that it's done with the greatest of care and concern for the due process rights of all Americans. So Comey signs the first FISA application. He was warned by Bruce Orr in August of 16 that Steele hated Trump. Hillary paid for it. It's unverified. He was warned by Kathleen Kavlik over at the State Department. Uh, Same thing in that even a deadline existed. Uh, He signed it in October of 2016. In January, he said it was unverified, the opposite of what he said on the FISA application. He signed it numerous times, and then we found out just in the last week that the FBI had a spreadsheet basically debunking 96% of everything in that dirty dossier, and they barely could find anything in there that was true, and then he never went back to the court to correct the record. Now, you know, I know you're a great attorney, Professor, but I don't think you could get me out of that. I think I would be no. paying a very heavy price for premeditated, repeated commit, uh, fraud perpetrated on a, on a court. 
I agree with you. And also the courts have said over and over again that there is an affirmative obligation of lawyers to keep the court current, even if what you said was correct when you filed it. If you learned new information that raises doubts about that, you have an obligation to bring that new information to the court on a continuing basis. And they fail to do that. Because remember, every day that the court didn't get the information, more people's rights were being intruded upon by national security wiretaps and other kinds of authorizations that would have stopped had the courts been told, uh-oh, maybe we were right in the beginning. They weren't. But now we know that the dossier on which the FISA warrant was partly based was uh, was wrong. So they had a continuing obligation. And I hope I hope the inspector general will come up with the truth about this, because it's a terrible violation of the rights of every American. And the Can I ask you the tough really question that I, I think always hurts you a little bit when I ask? But I know I know I know you've always had a good relationship with the Clintons. Yeah. If you read 18 U.S.C. 793, and you have classified top secret documents marked as such on a private server. And Hillary even warned the whole State Department not to do it. And you have it there and you get caught. Professor, you and I know, and I, I would say everyone's innocent until proven guilty, presumption of innocence, absolutely. But let's say every one of those things is a fact. And I did it, not Hillary. I did those things. Would I go to jail? Well, if all of those facts are correct. Now, Comey says the investigation went forward. The FBI looked into all of those issues and came up he, with alternate explanations. That what was Well, no, he never denied the truthfulness of what I just said. He said know, those let, things happened. Well, no. Yeah. Well, let, I think there should be a full investigation. Look, if what you say happened in the way you said it, that certainly sounds like an obstruction of justice. But I want to reserve my conclusions until I see old hard evidence and see. This is, listen, this is not, what makes you a good d- defense attorney. Yeah. But I would argue all of what I said is overwhelming the evidence, incontrovertible, and it all happened. And if we did, if we have equal justice and equal application of laws, I believe we will get to the bottom of it. We'll see. Uh, so. Professor, great so. to have you back yeah. on the program. Thank you. Uh, 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza. Uh, we have Dan Bongino, former uh, Congressman Darrell Issa, will update you on our top story, and that is the battle, the conflict. Elijah Cummings, what is life like in Baltimore? Was the president right in his criticism? And secondly, what about the president's battle with Al Sharpton? Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload. Anyone who took the walk that we took, we took around this neighborhood would not think you're in a wealthy nation. You would think that you were in a third world country. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. Oh, my God. You can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings help to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. If home is boarded up, they'll still break it down and do their drugs inside. All right, that's only a few of the things that uh, are now coming out. Now, the president got into this battle, this conflict, this back and forth with uh, Elijah Cummings. And by the way, Mark Meadows tells me Elijah Cummings is a nice guy. Probably is. It's not the point here. We have been covering liberal cities all across this country. And I don't care if it's San Francisco. You have one one mile in one direction is the gated community of the multi, multi, multi millionaires. 
uh, Speaker in the House, name only, Nancy Pelosi. One mile away from where she lives. Remember, she has an, an estimated net worth 30, 50 million bucks. Okay, living with a lot of rich people. Then you go a mile away, and what do you've got? You've got rampant homelessness. It's an epidemic. We've had now three times Lawrence Jones go out there and report for us. They have problems with needles everywhere, feces, people have no place to go to the bathroom. They're going to the bathroom on the streets. I'm not making it up. I can when play you have it again. needles and um, blood-stained clothing in the streets, that can't be safe for anyone. I do see like a lot of needles and then, you know, feces everywhere. And then that's obviously about drugs and stuff like that. Um, kind of makes it a drab when you walk around, you see needles and close to a playground and just feces everywhere. I mean, the smell of it all. It's kind of... You definitely have to look on the ground when you're walking. And it's been... It's, it's definitely an uptick because I've lived in the city more than 30 years, and it, this is probably the worst I've seen it. Now, if you look at these liberal, these big liberal cities, and it's not just Elijah Cummings' district. It's elsewhere. Anyway, two um, you know months ago, you had Baltimore's African-American mayor complaining that she could smell the rats and the vermin. Um, and I got that tape. Listen. About a year ago, city leaders identified some of the city's most violent neighborhoods. What the hell? We should just take all this down. To target. Ooh, you can smell the rats. Under Baltimore's Violence Reduction Initiative. Ooh, Jesus. Just last week, we went with Mayor Pugh as she toured an East Baltimore neighborhood. Oh my God, you can smell the dead animals. Blocks of dilapidated buildings helped to hide the addiction that's crippled this community. Homeless boarded up, they'll still break it down and do their drugs inside. Okay, that's the African-American mayor of Baltimore. Well, the New York Times even acknowledged, and they were pretty straightforward about it. And it looks like Elijah Cummings District sits right in the middle of all of this. The Baltimore recorded 342 murders, the highest per capita rate ever, more than double Chicago's and far higher than any other city of 500,000 residents or more. And astonishingly, a larger absolute number of killings than in New York City, a city 14 times the population. And the violence, disorderly you know, behavior has just gone on forever. Now you have uh, more statistics. We have 180 homicides from the Baltimore Sun. I got this information. The city on pace to exceed 300 for the fifth year in a row. According to the FBI and their their latest statistics available, 2017, Baltimore had the highest murder rate among America's biggest cities, 55.8 per 100,000 population. Now, Chicago, as a reference point, is number four at 24, not 55, 24 per 100,000 population. That is a big distinction. And if you look at, for example, cities with the highest murder rate, well, it's number two behind St. Louis. Cities with the most violent crime rate. Uh, number three behind St. Louis and Detroit. And then I can go on from there. Joining us to discuss, debate, Dan Bongino. He knows Baltimore well. He knows Maryland well. Um, he's, how long have you lived in Maryland? I was there about 15 years in Maryland, Sean. Ran yeah. for office there twice. Spent and former Congressman Daryl Iser is with us. Tell us about your experience in Baltimore, Dan Bongino. Yeah, I mean, I... I Sean, I think the Democrats walked right into a trap here. I'm not suggesting it was deliberate by President Trump, but let me tell you something. If the Democrats want to have a conversation about the disaster they exclusively created in Baltimore, Sean, 
There has not been an elected Republican on the city council, get ready for this, since the 1940s. We're talking about decades since any conservative Republican has been elected. You put some stats out there, but with the Democrats, let me say that again, have done to destroy the formerly great city of Baltimore. Sean, you know, in the 1950s, Baltimore was one of the richest uh, cities in America. I don't, I don't know if any of your listeners know that. The median income was 7% above the national average. You know what it is now? It's 22% below. Let me throw another one at you. They did a survey in 2017 of Baltimore Public High School. They surveyed a third of them. That's 33% for the liberals listening. Do you know there were exactly zero students in those schools? Zero. Not one, not five. Zero students proficient in math. Let me throw one more at you. You do realize, well, you just said it kind of, but I was a cop in the New York City Police Department in the 90s when it was getting better, but it was still a little dangerous. Baltimore had as many homicides as New York City, despite a population one-fourteenth or one-thirteenth of the size. You want to have this conversation? You're damn right we need to have this conversation. Let's have it right now, and I applaud President Trump for bringing it up. Let me tell you what I want for every American. Dan Bongino, and this is why I've been a conservative, and I'll go to Daryl Issa. Great to have him back to the program. You know, Congressman, all I want is that people that live like my grandparents when they came to this country in poverty, and my father, who grew up poor as can be in Bed-Stuy, and my mom growing up in the South Bronx, and here's little old Sean Hannity with a big mouth that stands on their shoulders because America gave them an opportunity, in the case of my mom, to be a prison guard 16 hours a day. She pretty much did doubles her whole life for 25 years, and my father working uh, in family court probation and working as a waiter on the weekends. Um, they, th- th- This was a reality, and we're not fixing the poorest cities because we're not implementing the conservative policies that could help lift these cities out of poverty. It's possible. It's happened. We're lifting the country out of it, but still certain people are left behind. There are fellow citizens. We can't let it happen. Well, you're exactly right. The only thing I would add is that, in fact, the president's tax reform bill specifically created these opportunity zones, including many in Baltimore, that are already starting to bear fruit with the kind of investments that are being persuaded to go to tough places. Uh, It's one of those amazing things that Elijah Cummings needs President Trump to be successful because President Trump has already done criminal justice reform. He's willing to do more. He's investing in the inner cities and he's investing in the kinds of blue-collar jobs coming back to America that in fact can drive the already historically low uh, unemployment in the black community lower, much lower, and particularly in uh, Baltimore, you know, Elijah Cummings used to bemoan to me the fact that because people had criminal records in large numbers in his district, they weren't able to get a second chance. President Trump, Jared, his son-in-law, and others are championing exactly what he says he wants, but he's too busy trying to impeach him. Well, I mean, this is the point. Listen, I've got to say that, you know, he seems like a nice man. But when I look at these statistics and I look at the violence and I look at the poverty and I look at the decline in population, decline in population in Baltimore, you know, we've got to look seriously at why would Pete, I love Baltimore. We have a great affiliate in Baltimore, WCBM. If their own mayor, African-American mayor is complaining about the, the rats and the mice and the vermin and the murder rate is far higher than, than any other U.S. city and the crime statistics are higher than most cities by a long shot 
and the population's declining and people are getting the hell out of there because it's not safe anymore. Uh, one has to ask, was Bernie Sanders right when he said it's becoming a third world country and a disgrace uh, in past comments? And others, Democrats, have said it, too. It's only if Trump says it. Dan Bongino, do we get into the territory? Oh, oh, it must be based on race. Well, everybody just disregard. I mean, serious, sane people uh, don't take any of that seriously anymore. And really what's a shame, Sean, is by the Democrats calling everybody for every reason you can possibly imagine a racist, misogynist. You go through the list every night on your show. I just call them the istophobic phobophobes. Anything that ends in an ist or a phobe, they will call you. Um, the sad part is people who are actually homophobes and racists get a free pass because the Democrats call everybody a racist. That has become disregarded by most of the same population. And I believe it's what led to the cultural revolution that downstream led to the election of Donald Trump. Americans who don't have a racist bone in their body and genuinely want to present solutions are tired of being called a racist for doing so. Sean, I know you've been an advocate for education, freedom, economic liberty. That's what your show is about. Where's the school choice in Baltimore? The answer, it's, it's the Democrats are fighting against it. Where's the low-tax pro-business environment for jobs? The answer, Democrats are fighting against it. Where's the Rudy Giuliani-era tough-on-crime approach? So the Baltimore City, our citizens, our cities are American citizens. These I are t- our oh, stop people. right no there. If Rudy Giuliani can't walk down the street? can clean up New York City, and it was a asshole, to quote Democrats oh, and the media mob. It was, uh, listen, <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in that era. There in in Forty Second Street, New York City, it was all drugs and pornography and and crime, and and it was horrible. Every other bad thing you can think of. Right. So Rudy's fighting. He drops the murder rate. I'll go to Daryl Issa from twenty five hundred a year down to about four hundred a year through tough policing measures. Hands on. He's called a racist every day, but he kept people safe. Now, all of a sudden, if, you're, if your policies are not working for your community, why? Why can't Nancy Pelosi go to every other millionaire that lives in her gated community and say, I want to raise $30 million, build a center so that people have bathroom facilities, shower facilities, a hot meal twice or three times a day, and they can get mental counseling or drug counseling. Why can't she do that? You can't do something if you depend on people being failed and needing you. Ultimately, empowerment of the individual and the success that comes with not just their success, but the ripple effect, the the rising tide that uh, Ronald Reagan spoke of so eloquently, that works to the the benefit of, quite frankly, libertarians and Republicans. It works to the detriment of of socialists and, and their kind. All right, quick break. Right back. More on the battle between the president, Elijah Cummings, Al Sharpton, and the Democrats. And why are all these liberal big cities a mess? All right, as we continue with Dan Bongino and former Congressman Darrell Issa of California. Now you've got grandstanding. Here's Al Sharpton uh, weighing in on all of this. I, you know, forget about Tawana Brawley and, and Freddie Gray. and uh, not Freddie Gray. Um, uh, the interloper comments that he made and Freddie's at a hundred and whatever street in New York and all the other things that he's been involved in. Just listen to him. How, why would we take any lectures from this guy on this issue? I'm tired of the Mac and You ain't nothing. You're a punk. Now come on, do something. Yes. You want to be the only on television. The only in the newspaper. The only can talk. Black 
We learned to admire them, but they knew to admire us. We built pyramids where Donald Trump ever knew what architecture was. We taught philosophy and astrology and mathematics before Socrates and them Greek ever got around. White Interloper, I said I was wrong. Uh, uh, Cracker, though I think Cracker is a certain personification of a certain type of person down south, just like Redneck. I mean, you know, some people misinterpret Cracker meaning all whites is not true, but the confusion means you shouldn't use it. I mean, sometimes being flippant, you say things you shouldn't say because it gets in the way of your message and people don't really understand what you're saying. You know what the worst part of this, and I'll let you both weigh in, final question. Baltimore got $1.8 billion from Obama's stimulus law. <laughs> Tara Lisa, 1.8 billion. How do you blow and waste 1.8 billion? Well, it's what happens in large cities is that uh, lots and lots of friends of people like Elijah Cummings end up with a lot of money. You know, you just have to go online and Google how Elijah Cummings' wife and her charity have done collecting money from people who have business before his committee to know that that's the way it's done in Baltimore. The money does not trickle down to the actual projects. It ends up in the hands of their donors. Yeah. Last word, Dan Bongino. Listen, Al Sharpton, in that cut you played, there's got to be some background on that, too. He was mad that David Dinkins, the black New York City mayor, had gone after him. At that. But Al Sharpton is only concerned about one thing, and that's Al Sharpton. And everybody needs to understand that I grew up in New York with Al Sharpton. He loves division. This is not a unifier. We need unity right now, not division, and certainly not Al Sharpton. By the way, you missed a great debate. I once debated Al at the uh, National Action Network. I brought in the tape recorder with all those tapes you just heard. The room was so packed that literally there were thousands of people outside of this big room we were debating in and and literally, you know, screaming, let us in, let us in. Everybody wanted to see it. Dan Bongino, Daryl Issa, thank you. When we come back, my interview with President Trump straight ahead. All right, glad you're with us. 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SHAWN is our toll-free telephone number. I meant to get to this because I had the president um, on Hannity Thursday night last week. Uh, his exclusive reaction to uh, what happened with the Mueller testimony, and he had a lot to say. And rather than chop it up, I just thought I'd maybe replay a majority of this so you get a real feel. And I kind of like this format with the president because unlike the media mob that just want to get their second, their minute, their moment with the president so they can look tough on TV and then write a failing book like Jimmy Acosta. Mark Levin sells a half a million books. Acosta sells, he didn't even sell 20,000. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, anyway, here's my interview from uh, with the president. Well, I think people learned a lot yesterday watching a very poor performance and watching things that they couldn't believe when they saw what was going on. And hopefully we're going to be able to find out how a thing like this started. It was a disgrace to our country. It was a disgrace from every standpoint. And uh, I would say that most people have never seen anything like it. And then on top of it, you watch that performance. It was it was shocking. How much of the Mueller testimony did you actually watch? So I wasn't going to watch it all. And then I started thinking about it. And then I watched a little bit at the very beginning. And I couldn't believe what I was saying. And I ended up watching more than I wanted to. 
Oh. And then I watched the afternoon because, uh, you know, it was such a big crater at the beginning. And I, I said, now I have to watch, uh, I have to watch Shifty Shift because he just went through three hours and now he has to go through Shift. And I said, this is going to be very interesting. And I've never seen anything like it, actually. It was sort of good television. So I couldn't watch it all. I had meetings. I had economic development meetings. And I was saying, fellas, maybe we could move it to another time. But I didn't want to do that. But I got to watch enough, and uh, it was shocking. I thought the Republicans represented themselves brilliantly, actually. Uh, John Ratcliffe and uh, Jim Jordan and, uh, I mean, all of them, uh, Louis Gohmert. I could mention 15 names it, it, or however many they have that spoke. It got fairly close to that number. I guess maybe it was a little bit less than that. But I, I will tell you that everybody representing the Republicans, I thought, was really good. And I thought the other side was typically biased. But they were stuck with a situation that they couldn't believe. Why is it important to get to the bottom of this from your perspective? Because this should never happen to another president of the United States again. This is a absolute catastrophe for our country. This was a fake witch hunt, and it should never be allowed to happen to another president again. This was treason. This was high crimes. This was everything as, as bad a definition as you want to come up with. This should never be allowed to happen to our country again. What do you say to the press in this country? The press that is supposed to be fair, balanced, objective, down the middle. I'm a talk show host. I, I have a, I'm like the whole newspaper. We do everything. Well, I think the press has lost all credibility, much of it, but it's lost a big part of it, though. I mean, a very substantial part of it lost all credibility. And I watch as people scream at these poor Democrats, the congressmen, scream like I've never seen. You must do this. You must do that. They're, they're, I mean, these are supposed to be journalists, talk show hosts, uh, uh, of all sorts of people. I, I cannot believe it. And they're actually trying to force them to do what they want to be done. I've never seen anything like it. And I've seen it. They're, they're, you know, they use the word unhinged. They are unhinged. The media has become totally unhinged. They're very dishonest. And when I say enemy of the people, when people give purposely false stories and when they try and get politicians to do things that are wrong and they know they're wrong, that really is the enemy of the people. It's fake news, but it's the enemy of the people, more importantly. Now that you saw how little he actually knew, do you have a different opinion of him? Did you at any point almost feel sorry for him during this? So I had the absolute right to fire him, but I didn't. Uh, and I never suggested to do it. But I had the absolute right to fire him under Article 2 and perhaps for other reasons. But uh, I didn't do it. I didn't do any of the thing. You know, when they say he said he was going to do this or said he was going to do I didn't do any of it. And it's really incredible when I hear this. And, you know, the whole concept of obstruction, first of all, they create a phony crime, which was just a terrible thing to say about somebody, especially somebody that loves the country as much as I do. So they create this phony crime, and then they say he obstructed. They said there was no collusion, but he obstructed. And there has never been anything like this ever before in our country. Uh, this crime was a, the crime was committed on the other side. And we'll find out about that. We have a great attorney general who's looking at it. I'm not involved in that. He's, 
he's looking at it. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of the media actually is talking about investigate the investigators and a lot more than that. And I think that things are, I just see it. I feel it. By the way, nothing affected the Trump organization. You know, all of these things like the Russian bloggers, they had nothing to do with us. And everybody knew it. In fact, there's a little sentence in there saying that it had nothing to do with the Trump administration. But it was like a lot of people, 24 people or something, a lot of bloggers, bloggers in Russia. They'll never see these people. They know that they sent out papers to these people. They'll never see them. The people probably never even got the papers. But all of these people, none of them had, they they went through people with old tax cases, old cases, cases that were not even going forward and, you know, just went after them viciously and violently. Uh, General Flynn, who's a, a good man, uh, what they did to General Flynn and so many others. Hope Hicks is wonderful young woman. And she spent much of her time in Washington fighting off, the, you know, horrible stories and things. And she's just a, a high quality person. So many. I mean, I could name I could name almost everybody what they went through. And still to this day, I mean, I heard people saying that I heard some of the media saying that they thought Mueller performed OK. In other words, they let a day go by and then they'll try and spin it. These are very dishonest people. These are very bad people. Have you at any point ever considered in the back of your mind a pardon for any of the people you mentioned? Um, or you would wait? I think you had said at one point you wouldn't consider it until after it all worked through. Well, I don't want to comment on that as far as the pardons are concerned. Yes, it is absolute. And it's a beautiful thing. I've I've had uh, people, Jack Johnson, the heavyweight champion of the world in the early 1900s, and uh, he went to jail for, you know, no, no reason. And so many other things. And Alice Johnson's another good example. And, you know, I, I, I really feel good about giving it where people have been uh, treated unfairly and abused, actually. Uh, but I, I haven't talked about it with respect to what's going on now. I mean, it's... Uh it's, you know, I think there's a whole new day starting. I think, you know, I used to use and I still use Drain the Swamp. Uh, we have some very, very bad people in government that would be willing to do very bad things and for bad reasons. So I don't mention pardon, uh, but... You know, I don't say what's going to happen in the future. I, I just don't comment on it. Mr. President, you have the power to literally release the FISA applications and the 302s and the Gang of Eight information. And you made a decision to hand it over to the attorney general and let him decide. And I'm curious as to why. Well, we have a, re a very respected gentleman, a very high quality person named William Barr. And he's doing, he's, I can tell you, he's working so hard. And rather than just doing a total release, I gave, I gave him a total release. In other words, he's got everything, anything he needs, he's got. He's the Attorney General of the United States. He's got a lot of uh, very good people under him that I guess are involved. And I gave them a total release. So all of it's been released. And 
He has all of it. I've also given him authorization to release it to whoever he wants. All right. So how close are you paying attention to the 2020 Democrats that, by the way, seem most influenced by the squad and all of them having even adopted some version of the insane new green deal that would get rid of the lifeblood of our economy, oil, gas and, you know, planes and cows and the combustion engine? Well, you know, it's very interesting because I haven't seen it at all for the last four or five days. They're not talking about the Democrats. They're talking about Mueller and how bad he performed, how badly he performed. And they're talking about everything that happened over the last few days. But in particular, yesterday, you're not seeing much about the Democrats. But look, you know, you've got a few of them that are doing a little bit better than others. Uh It'll be interesting. Whoever it is, I'm okay with it. We have the best economy we've ever had. As you know, we have the best stock market numbers we've ever had in the history of our country. And that's, you know, if you look at 401ks, if you look at the kind of money that people are making, I'm not talking about rich people or just rich people. I'm talking about everybody. And uh, blue collar workers went up proportionately more than anybody. You saw that poll that just came out. Things are doing great. The best unemployment numbers, the best employment numbers I tell you what more people working in the united states today than at any time in the history of our country and then we have the lowest unemployment numbers especially for african-americans for hispanics for asians women are almost 70 years the best numbers and soon to be historic meaning forever meaning from from the beginning uh, no, I, I think we're going to be in great well, let me shape. Ask this, and, then. You know, you have then you have the who, AOC. I call it AOC plus three. Who do you the, think you know, the, wins the three hangers on? Who and, do you think uh, wins the nomination? Really I really believe they're going to hurt sorry. the Democrats, but who knows? I mean, we'll see. But I think we're going to do very well, Sean. I think we're going to do very well. We have tremendous spirit. Every time you've never seen an empty seat, we go into these massive arenas and they're packed, and there's thousands of people outside. You've never seen an empty seat, so I think we're going to do very well. Is there one of the group of Democratic hopefuls that you hope wins because you know you can beat them easily? Well, you know, I could say that obviously the top three or four look like they're doing better than the rest. So uh, Sleepy Joe is okay, but he's fading. I think he's fading fast. The only good thing about Mueller is it made Joe Biden look like a dynamo. So when you watch Mueller's performance yesterday, I think probably Biden is the one that asked him to go on. So you have him and he's sort of a little bit leading. And then you have... You have a whole group. You have Elizabeth Warren, formerly known as Pocahontas, and I'm sure that'll come out because that's a tough thing for her to withstand, I believe, because her whole life was a fake. Uh, she used that very, very adeptly, and uh, it was not good. And you have Harris, and uh, Bernie looks like he's fading. To me, Bernie looks like he missed his time. I think, you know, what Hillary did a few years ago was uh, it was pretty tough, frankly, for Bernie. Yeah. But that was his time. This, I don't think it's Bernie's time. I see him flailing. He's flailing all over the place. He's going crazy. I call him Crazy Bernie. But the fact is that I think those would be probably the three or four. Maybe there's another one or two. And, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see anybody else gaining traction. And you've seen and you've watched with us these police officers being pounded with water and not reacting. I, I, and to me, if this continues, that is a disastrous situation for the people in New York City. Well, it's a bad mayor, probably the worst mayor in the history of New York City. He's done a bad job, and now he's running for president, and people can't even believe it. He's a horrible mayor. Uh, the policeman 
it just and women cannot stand him. They don't respect him. They don't like him. Remember, they turned their back on him a couple of years ago when he got up to speak. Everybody turned their back, and they kept it that way. And still, they want to do it, but they still have respect for the office, if not him. Yeah, uh, but Mr. President, I thought that was tragic watching that scene. A couple of days ago when I first saw it, I couldn't believe it. I said, let me see that again. I don't believe what I'm seeing. And I know New York's finest and New York's finest. In fact, we were in touch with them today. They are devastated that, frankly, that that could happen. And also that those two officers would allow that to happen. That was a terrible thing. All right. Got to take a break here. Um, We got an amazing Hannity tonight. I mean. On a scale of 1 to 10, oh, we're going to have all the news that nobody else in the media can give you. Or will, well, they could if they worked. The problem is they don't work, they don't want to work, they're lazy, and they're agenda-driven. You know, stormy, 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 collusion, collusion, Russia, Russia, Russia. Now, they're, they're just obsessed with whatever it happens to be on any given day. Why are so many of these liberal cities in America a, a train wreck and a disaster? And you can't point it out, what, and you're called a racist and say, fix your city. And when a Republican goes in like Mayor Giuliani in New York and stops, a sa- literally is saving thousands of lives a year because he cared. And he's called racist the whole time. But the lives were saved all throughout his, his time as mayor. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. We had a great Hannity tonight. We sent our own Lawrence Jones. He is going to be reporting. He's in Baltimore, and he'll talk to the residents there. Uh, Eric Trump weighs in. Larry Elder, Mike Huckabee, Pete Hegseth, Professor Professor Dershowitz, and George Papadopoulos. Hmm. Let's see. Did they purposefully lie and withhold exculpatory things that he said? When they spied on him? Yeah, spied is the word. Anyway, full report on the latest on the Deep State Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, We'll have the latest. Hannity tonight at 9 on Fox. Thanks for being with us back here tomorrow.